0: Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand.
1: This is Think Out Loud on OPB, I'm Dave Miller. It's been a few weeks now since cold ice and wind battered Oregon in a kind of rolling succession of destructive winter weather. Countless trees came down on homes and cars and roads and power lines. Hundreds of thousands of Oregonians lost power, some for more than a week. At least 15 people died. We're going to get a few perspectives today on how public agencies responded to the storm, on what went right and what could be improved in the next disaster. We start with two officials from Multnomah County. Rachel Pearl is the Deputy Director of the Department of County Human Services. Chris Voss is the County's Director of Emergency Management. It's good to have both of you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Rachel, I want to start with emergency warming shelters for people living on the streets. How many did you set up and how many people took advantage of them?
2: Yeah, Dave, uh, happy to share that with you. We opened 12 additional sites and expanded to existing sites and uh, had over 1,300 guests that took advantage of those warming shelters.
1: Was anybody turned away?
2: No, nobody was turned away. Hmm.
1: How did staffing work?
2: Yeah, staffing is always um, a a process for us, something that we are working on all throughout the year. Uh, We... Have county employees who uh, support staffing. We had uh, three of our sites that were staffed by uh, contracted providers, um, Cultivate Initiatives, Do Good Multnomah and Transitions Projects or TPI, were able to staff three of our sites. And then the rest of our sites were staffed by um, county employees, uh, some city employees, and some other um, community members as well. And that's kind of makes up um, the staffing for those sites.
1: Did you have enough staff to to actually run everything you needed to run, whether they were volunteers? Or, I mean, sort of but like, it sounds like a kind of patchwork that you put together. Did you have enough people?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the question we're always asking ourselves is um, as we look at past activations and prepare for future activations, looking at how many people we think might need, these spaces, how many spaces we need, and then how many staff we need to uh, run those um, efficiently, effectively, and safely. And, you know, so if you look at last February um, to this year, we increased our um, county staff involvement by 66%. And so that demonstrates the amount of increase in our recruitment and training in order to be prepared for this event. And I think from um, as we're reflecting and continuing to go on that journey, we will be expanding that recruitment and looking at opportunities to partner more with our community members as well. And so um, I think it's it's difficult to say, do we have enough? I think we would benefit from having more, and we're always in a process of continuing to recruit. Um, and we look forward to doing that and, and being expanding that out um, beyond uh, our existing kind of recruitment efforts as well.
1: Chris, the county has gotten some questions and some criticism for the decision to close these emergency shelters before the temperature had really risen, before the ice had melted. What was the thinking? Yeah, and uh, I do want to just take a second and and add some numbers to what
3: Rachel and, and her team has done is really the county, because uh, this event was very, very unique for us. You know, we provided over 7,650 meals, which was actually 163% meals, more meals than our next highest event. Uh, shifts, we more than doubled the number of staffing shifts we ran this event than previous events. Uh, uh, even transports of people, we were up 157%. So this was really a big event for us. With regard to that piece and sort of the closure of shelters, you know, w- w- we rely on a, on a lot of bits of pieces of information. And, and one of those pieces of information is obviously forecasting. And, uh, you know, we, we know forecasting is also a little bit of an inexact science. Uh, last February, we saw uh, a snowstorm that we, we thought we were going to get 0.2 inches and, and we saw close to a foot. And in this event, uh, the warm up that we were expecting never quite happened. And uh, you're right. Uh, We are looking at how we how much we look at that forecasting, which is still really, really important for us. But it's also driving decisions that we know that we're making 24 hours later. So um, I want to talk about that for a second, because on Tuesday morning, when we had a call about uh, the closures of of shelters, um, we actually were talking a little about uh, just Tuesday night and uh while there are several thresholds that we look at from temperature and precipitation um wind uh the tuesday night we actually didn't meet our standard thresholds but But when we sat down and talked about this, we're like, well, if the if we're going to see ice during the day, we can't exactly let people out at night at 8 p.m. So uh, the determination was let's extend that to the next morning where we were hearing forecasts that we were going to see temperatures uh, well into the 40s. We were supposed to see rain overnight. Well, those things didn't quite um, uh, manifest The way that we thought that we would. And we actually extended our our closure hours. Uh, But then we also did things later in the week that I don't know that were quite as publicized. We opened points of distribution to provide additional gear. And we actually opened uh, another shelter because while we did start to see some temperatures uh, warming up around the county, uh, the city of Cresham and out east uh, was not seeing temperatures. So we actually reopened another location and worked with Uh, the governments out there as well as uh, our outreach contractors to put people in there that uh, were still finding themselves in a position where they did need shelter.
1: Since the storm, there has been uh, some finger pointing between city and county leaders about decision-making, about communication. We don't have time to get into all those details, but but most broadly, what can you do, to respond to crises in the most coordinated, efficient ways, given the divisions of different governments? Yeah, you know what? And and I, that's a great question. And
3: I think I want people to understand that during one of these events, we are making thousands of decisions. Um, and you know what? Uh, I, I know sometimes people will focus on uh, some of the differences that governments have, but I think those are really Minuscule compared to the number of decisions that we're making where we are 100% aligned in sort of the direction and what we want to do. And so the differences tend to be overplayed, especially from my point of view. And certainly, uh, we can't do this without partners like the city partners like the state, uh, even community members and our contractors. They're all vital to us. Uh, yeah, I, I've been married for well over 20 years and, and uh, uh, my wife and I are not a hundred percent aligned with every decision we make. So you could imagine during an event like this, that there are obviously going to be some differences. And, and uh, I just think that that's the nature of the business, but we do our best and we continue to work with the city and all our partners to see how we can improve. it. And, and I met with my counterparts just uh, late yesterday into the evening on some of those issues.
1: And cities and counties cannot get divorced. Uh, Chris? <laughs> (laughs) Chris Voss and Rachel Pearl, thanks very much.
2: Thank you.
1: you. Chris Voss is the Director of Emergency Management for Multnomah County. Rachel Pearl is the Deputy Director of the Department of County Human Services. We're doing a kind of after-action report right now on the recent winter storm or storms. We turn from Multnomah to Lane County right now. Lane was one of the areas that was hit hardest. Eve Gray is the Director of Health and Human Services for Lane County. Welcome to the show.
4: Thank you so much. Good to be here.
1: Can you give us a sense for the scale of the damage in Lane County?
4: You know, we were hit uh, very significantly and across the county. Uh, we had an more of ice in many places, most places within our county. At one point, more than 60 percent of Lane County residents were out of power. And for those areas that were the hardest hit, in particular in South Lane County, Cottage Grove area, there were folks who were out of power for well over a week. And their power outage started at the height of the cold. So right in the um, Saturday, Sunday, the 14th or 15th. And uh, and we had to work uh, really creatively with the city officials when the entire city of Cottage Grove lost power and how were they going to help and how were we going to help collaboratively to get resources there in in uh, generators and uh, fuel and making sure that there were some warm spaces that people could go to. And that was just one example. Uh, our city of Springfield, which is more in the metro area right next to Eugene and Lane County had very, very significant damage, especially in the eastern portion, again, out of power for much of the city and a portion of the city, a large portion for more than 24 hours was on a boil water advisory, which is incredibly difficult when you are out of power as well to be able to boil water. Hmm. And for those who are on well water, of course, didn't have water access. Um, We also lost access to public transportation. Our um, bus system stopped operating for several days because of the danger related to the ice Uh, and our normal uh, government buildings and normal buildings that people would go into to get warm all closed because of the difficulty with transportation. So in terms of the scope of the event, it was pretty significant for us and remains that way. This will be a long recovery process here in Lane County.
1: What are the most important lessons that you have taken away so far from the results of the storm and the the county's responses to it?
4: Yeah, great questions. Um, I think that it's a little bit different for housed and unhoused community members that Uh, In our response related to community members who are unhoused, we have a system that is reliant on public spaces being open for warming during the daytime. So our contract is with a local provider, St. Vincent de Paul. They run the Egan Warming Centers, which open at night. And uh, the whole system is built with volunteers and with the assumption that there will be a place for folks to go during the daytime. And also that transportation systems will be intact for us to be able to bring people to the sites that we have available for warming. And those components fell apart for us in uh, in this particular event. And that's a big part of our focus is to look at um, how do we create a system that can rapidly upscale to provide daytime services Uh, to provide transportation in dangerous conditions so that we can be protecting our community. Um, With those who are housed, the the factors were different in terms of what was complicated for us. We, in Lane County, we have 12 cities. We have uh, very, very rural and metropolitan areas Uh, and getting information what about who needed what help where and at what priority level was I think the most challenging part for us and an area of a big focus as we look at preparing for other events that may impact multiple communities within our county. Um, how What are central sources that we can ask folks to go to in order to assure that we are collecting real time data on what is happening who has the greatest needs and where we can deploy resources. Uh, and then I think finally, really looking at what are the options for upscaling our response when the staff in the county are being impacted by the disaster personally at the same time that the rest of the community is. And that was a big challenge for us. You know, we are very well rehearsed in managing wildfire where there's one community or a couple of communities impacted, but most of county staff are available for the response. That was different here, and I think an opportunity for us to explore how we can do that differently or better in the future. Really appreciate our partners at the state, Oregon Department of Human Services, uh, Oregon Department of Forestry, Oregon, um, the Office of Emergency Management, and Oregon Health Authority all responded and assisted Uh, in the midst of this
1: disaster. Eve Gray, thanks very much.
4: Thank you.
1: Eve Gray is Director of Health and Human Services for Lane County. We're talking right now about the lessons that public agencies and other entities have been learning so far or are continuing to learn uh, about their response to the recent winter storm. Drew Hansen joins us now. He is a public information officer for PG, Portland General Electric. Drew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. In total, more than half a million of your customers lost power. That could mean, what, more than a million individual people? Is that right?
0: Uh, That could be correct. Uh, Those customers are counted by the meter. So there's individuals behind the meter as well.
1: How many customers were out at the peak of the loss?
0: So at the peak, um, so our, the, the Portland General Electric service area really started seeing outages tick up on January 13th. That was Saturday when the storm really settled in on the area. And at peak on that day, we saw 165,000 plus outages happening.
1: Hmm. When so many customers, residences, businesses, I imagine hospitals, public agencies, when they all lose power at the same time, how do you prioritize the returns to service?
0: That is a great question. And we do have a a prioritization uh, plan in place, and it is really starting with those critical life safety facilities. So hospitals, water treatment centers, um, and then kind of going down the list from there, nursing homes are part of it as well. And then going down to, say, grocery stores at a certain point, but definitely really focus on those life safety um, community resources first. And then another thing, too, is staying in very close communication with the different uh, communities and uh, municipalities that we serve. So if they're standing up warming shelters that we know where those are at and then we can um, you know potentially prioritize those in our restoration efforts.
1: How did communication go? I mean, this is one of the themes that has been emerging in these conversations is the the required coordination between different government agencies or government agencies and utilities how did that work
0: well you can imagine with the the totality of the storm with the old growth dug fir trees that were being uprooted and impacting access to different areas and neighborhoods Um, that coordination across the board had to be very close uh, to ensure that we could, that PG crews could have safe access to those areas. Um, So helping to clear debris and just making sure throughout the entirety of the event um, that we are setting up calls on a a day-to-day basis with the right individuals and uh, having those conversations. And it's not just during the storm too. A lot of that um, happens In the pre-planning stages, you know, in blue sky days, uh, we're coordinating and having uh, different meetings and uh, emergency planning sessions with the different counties that we serve so that we have those relationships established going into an event like this.
1: Utilities do routine maintenance on trees that are, say, leaning or about to lean on power lines. But when we're in a sprawling, very rural, tree-filled state, it's, it's not reasonable to hope that um, that you can just fully prevent widespread power outages when there's a, a really serious storm. But where do you see room for improvement?
0: You know, that is that is a, a very good point to make. We have approximately 2.2 million trees uh, within our service area. Um, and then, you know, maintenance year round is a very important key uh, factor on our reliability efforts. And I think one of the questions that we get often is, why, why don't we just underground all the power lines? And this storm showed us, you know, it was it, we had cases too where about half of PGE's distribution uh, lines are currently underground. And so a lot of these old growth trees were falling over with the root systems that would then pull up the, um, the lines. And then when that takes extra repairs and longer repairs, which could mean longer outages as well. So it's kind of looking at those, the balancing of the solutions of uh, undergrounding versus overhead, but yeah.
1: Hmm. Drew Hansen, thanks very much. Thank you, Dave. Drew Hansen is a public information officer with PGE. We have one final stop on this series of post storm conversations. Jody Yates joins us, the maintenance operations group director for the Portland Bureau of Transportation. Jody, welcome. Thanks for having me. Let's start with what went right from your perspective uh, about uh, two weeks ago. What's on your list?
5: Uh, well, on, on January 8th, we started watching the forecast and uh, we believed the forecast and started prepare and had our uh, trucks. Uh, we outfitted them with plows and e-pokes, which is the, the device on the back of the truck that can spread uh, material. And uh, we started prepping up for that and had um, all of our equipment ready on Thursday. And then uh, all staff got to drive the routes and prepare for the for the events that unfolded on Saturday,
1: so so in your mind, paying attention to the um, to the weather that was coming or that was called for, uh, and and getting preparations in place—that's an example of of what went right. Where do you see room for improvement?
5: Room for improvement is making sure that uh, um, all of our agencies have the same uh, common. Uh, goals of serving the community and knowing having us all know what the critical routes are at the same time and working towards that common goal restoring together i I think we can improve in that coordination realm
1: what's an example of of, of what you're talking about i mean when you when you're talking about coordination or specific routes what do you have in mind
5: well during the event uh we um with the uh, Portland Bureau of Emergency Management stood up a tactical team that actually uh, combined uh, PBOT, uh, urban forestry and PGE so that we were working in uh, tandem together to make sure that those critical routes for fire life and safety were in place um, and working together uh, not to disparate across the city. So we were able to open priority routes, the emergency transportation routes uh, together. So we stood that up. Um, I, uh, bear with me. It was a long event. It was, uh, I think, on Sunday or Monday that we stood up that tactical team to work in uh, joint coordination with those those two agencies.
1: You know, we heard a, a version of this from Chris Foss from, from Multnomah County earlier, but one of the big challenges, it seems, for every public body, for, for school superintendents, for city agencies, for counties, is responding to forecasts. If you proceed as if the worst case scenario is, is happening or is going to happen, and then the storm isn't so bad, people can say you overreacted. They maybe won't pay attention to you in the future. If you don't prepare and then the worst case happens, then there could be really serious disasters. How do you balance that?
5: I hope you get it right. No, we actually um, – we, we have plans in place varying levels and uh, we plan not at the most likely scenario, but not the worst case scenario. We're probably uh, looking at the ten to twenty percent proba- probability range, hmm. because that's the we want to plan and serve our community in that realm. And if we're over prepared, well, better to be prepared than be reactive, because if we can get ahead of a storm, uh, we serve our community better.
1: What happens to all of the gravel that you put down?
5: Well, we're actively sweeping it up right now. Um, and we collect it back up. We have about an 80% recovery rate. Some of it goes into the ditches. Some of it goes into catch basins. We'll get that later. Uh, uh, but we capture that material back. We take it to our Sunderland Recycling Facility. We actually clean it, which means remove some of the non-rock debris that's in it. And we reuse it on the well, it won't be reused on this next storm. We'll use it next season. Uh, we we do that cleaning operation in September and then reuse that rock again.
1: Including taking it out of bike lanes.
5: Yes, absolutely. Um, we know that when we place gravel onto the bike lanes or onto the streets for that immediate need, that it creates a hazard for our bicyclists out there. And so it becomes a, the next priority is to remove that hazard out of the bike lanes Currently, we're approaching about a 1,000 lane miles swept uh, post this event. So we we are working th- with the priority of being the bike lanes to get that uh, gravel out of that, to prevent it from being a hazard for them.
1: Jody Yates, thanks very much. Thank you. Jody Yates is the Maintenance Operations Group Director for PBOT, the Portland Bureau of Transportation.